0: So my mom is Japanese, so she would say, Hadaima, it's what you say normally when you come back home. And then, so my brother and, and me were saying the same thing, like "tadaima." And my aunt said, "Ah, oh, but for you, it's not tadaima because you're, you're from here. And that really felt like a shock because I know I, I, I wasn't born in Japan, but I want to be part of it. And my family is in Japan as well. And so that was like a rejection at that point.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Big Blend, the podcast about merging cultures, identity and transmission. This episode's guest is Yoshito Darmont Shimamori, a French and Japanese dad who works a lot on transmitting literacy. For those of you who are listening for the first time, you can discover the story behind the podcast in the first episode, The Prologue. Before we start, let me tell you about Yoshito. He grew up in France with a French dad and a Japanese mom. The Japanese language was always around, even if it wasn't his primary language. And he was comfortable speaking it, but he never really got comfortable writing or reading it. It felt irrelevant in a predominantly French environment. This gap made him feel like an outsider to one of his own cultures. Fast forward to a few years later, Yoshito became a teacher, and then a dad, and he decided to turn his challenges into useful tools. He created the Library for Multilinguals and wrote two books with one objective, helping children read and write in their heritage languages. Today, Yoshito lives in London with his wife. She's Korean and they have two sons that are seven and nine years old. And so the reason I wanted to have him on the podcast is that he focuses on literacy versus only speaking a language. And it's an important subject for parents who are transmitting a language that is challenging to read and write. And I'm not going to lie, Arabic is one of those languages. So I really, really wanted a few tips too. Stick around if you want cool and homemade ideas. Hello, Yoshito. Hello. So Yoshito, I want to start by asking you, where are you from? Uh,
0: So I'm from France. I was born in France and raised in France. And the only time I started living abroad is as an adult.
1: So where did you live as an adult?
0: So I, I lived mainly in England, in different places in England. So mainly London, a bit in Leicester. Uh, But that's it, yeah.
1: Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and teenage years? What were the cultures in your home?
0: So I grew up in France, in Lyon, uh, with a mom who is Japanese and a dad who is French. I learned French from school and my dad and all the surroundings. And Japanese is mainly from my mom, but I also attended a Japanese Saturday school when I was in primary school. And then I went to an international school where there were different sections and I went to the Japanese section. Uh, so I had six hours of Japanese a week where I learned about the Japanese uh, literacy and the history and geography.
1: And how did you feel about that? Did you like it when you were a kid?
0: Not really. <laughs> so I, I think uh, I think I took it more as a, as something I had to do. So learn to read and write. But speak was natural because I, I spoke since I was very little. I don't remember learning or having any difficulty as a child speaking in Japanese. So speaking understanding was never a problem. It's more reading and writing. And when you mm. study, there is a lot of reading and writing in that language. And in Japanese, the kanji, so the Chinese characters, and to be able to read properly, you need to learn thousands so for me reading and writing Japanese wasn't very like I didn't see the point of doing it so I, I took it as oh, I have to do it that's why I'm doing it but I was never really motivated and didn't see the point so I didn't Really enjoy it.
1: And you have a brother. Did uh, he feel the same thing?
0: Yeah, I think more or less the same. So we, we went to the same schools. And when he was in troisième, so it was, how old are we? Like 14 or something like that. Then he wanted to stop Japanese. So he actually went to the high school, college in, a, in our local school uh, without any Japanese. So everything was in French for him after this point.
1: Okay. He chose to stop learning.
0: Yeah. So today, which passports do you have? I have just the French passport because my mom took the French nationality before we were born. So we never had the Japanese passports. And so where do you feel the most at home? I could say I feel at home when I I can be myself. So in France, I can be myself. In England, I can be myself. But I'm not totally from England or from France anymore.
1: Do you feel yourself when you go to Japan?
0: Mm, not that much I think the main reason is that I have never lived in Japan there are always things that I don't know how they work and I have to rely on other people also I think earlier when I was a teenager it was mainly because I couldn't read properly so the signs etc when I had to get to a place it was extra work for me and I remember as well one thing so when we go back to Japan so my mom is Japanese so she would say Haraima. it's what you say normally when you come back home and then so my brother and, and me were saying the same thing, like Tadaima, and my aunt said, oh, but for you, it's not Tadaima because you're, you're from here. Mm. And that really felt like a shock because wow. I know I, I, I wasn't born in Japan, but I want to be part of it, and my family is in Japan as well, and so that was like a rejection at that point, point. and maybe it's just based on the, the, the way, the choice of words, but really felt like, okay, I'm not, I'm not from Japan, then... But you, it wasn't meant in a, in a bad way. It's just, I yeah. think she just wanted to correct the words, but
1: yeah. 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 You, it's the way you took it. Yeah. That
0: makes the difference.
1: So you said that you perceived your Japanese uh, classes like a chore, uh, like something you had to do. And you also said that when you went to Japan, the fact that you couldn't read easily or um, understand it that well made you feel a bit of an outsider. What would you have changed in your education as a child? What would be the advice that you would give your parents to maybe change a bit how you felt towards the culture what would have helped actually
0: so towards my parents nothing because i think they did really well with what they knew and they could do so my mom is still one who, who is japanese and who gave us the japanese culture so i think w- one thing that she did really well is that she didn't overemphasize on the fact that we had to be able to read and write japanese as well as if we were uh, learning in a japanese school in japan so she wasn't that pushy. He just wanted us to be able to go to Japan and travel on our own. And if we wanted to work, we could put a bit of effort and, and catch up easily. So in that way, I think she did really well. And that's also the way I want to raise my, my children. What I would change, however, is more in school. Because in school, I think there was a lot of trying to catch up with uh, the books that were the books that children in Japan were using. So we're using the same books, but we had a lot less hours. So it was a lot of catching up and teaching us the Chinese characters or the kanji out of context. There were loads of words I was learning for the tests, or lots of characters I was learning for the tests, but I didn't even know what they meant. So I would make Japanese more relevant to me as a child living abroad, so in France, for example. And that's something I'm trying to do with my sons as well, to to show them why it's useful to be able to read and write And then to teach them rather than the other way around.
1: Mm -hmm. And to embed it in their lives every day and not just a random book that that is not meant for them, that does not speak to them. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move now to your life as a family. You talked about your kids. You got married with a Korean woman and uh, when she became pregnant with your first child, how did you choose the languages that you would speak to them, to your kid or your kids and uh, and what you would teach them and how you would do it? Did you have the conversation with your partner?
0: I think we did. Probably, but I don't remember. It went quite naturally. The choice of language, for her, it was Korean, because that's her, her main language. On, on her side, there was no question. On my side, whether it was French or Japanese or both. So I thought, okay, Japanese is not really my strong language. So I won't pass on that language. I just focus on uh, French. And English was just outside uh, when they were little. And then when they started to go to school, it became a big part of their lives as well.
1: Mm. And uh, do you want to teach them Japanese?
0: So Japanese, uh, I'm thinking that so I I teach them a bit. And it's mainly when my mom comes. Japanese, I'm thinking I'm leaving it up to them. I want to pass on the culture to the Japanese culture, so they they can feel that they're Japanese as well. And if they want to learn to speak and, and read and write, maybe they can do it later if they choose to.
1: That's interesting because this opens up the grandchildren's question, because for me, for example, so right now I'm trying to transmit my culture to my kid. So I'm speaking to her in Lebanese. And just like your mother, I know quite well that she will not speak just as a Lebanese person, but she will have the basics and she will understand. But what about her kids if she decides to have uh, someone day I'm, I'm thinking that since her Lebanese will not be as strong as someone in Lebanon, she will probably not transmit it or transmit it in a light way like you are doing it and little by little it will get lost so um, it's interesting because I was focused on me transmitting to my daughter but actually on the longer term unfortunately I think unless she's with a Lebanese person it will get lost and we need to be okay with that
0: yeah I think yeah it's we do the best we can and then it's up to them as well
1: yeah The reason why I wanted to have you on this podcast is because you have taken your struggles and actually turned them into something concrete and that can help other parents. You talked about wanting to transmit to your kids the importance of literacy in the language and not just speaking it. So can you tell me a little bit about that? What was the process of you deciding to write your first
0: book? So I think because I struggled so much with Japanese... When my wife was pregnant, it was clear for me that I would do all I can for them not to struggle with learning to read and write. That was in my mind from the the very start. So when I think my eldest was about five, when I started to try to teach him when he was five, I always had in mind I wanted to be, uh, fun and relevant to him. It didn't really, like he wasn't really interested. So I left it. And we started really when he was six and a half.
1: So you waited for him to be ready.
0: Yeah. And I wanted him to be interested, not not me to be ready to teach him without him being interested. When he was six and a half, I started to do different activities. And then I was posting things on Instagram and I saw that some parents were actually also struggling to do this. And But I'm a teacher, so it's easier for me to do it than for someone who doesn't have the teaching knowledge. So then I thought, okay... I can do it, but maybe others want to do it and they can't do it. So I'm going to write something to make sure that they can do it. So my first book was uh, ideas of activities uh, that parents can do with their children. And I also tried to highlight the benefits of having this parent-child rapport uh, to be able to to pass on these skills for listening and, and reading, because yeah, sometimes uh, when we want to teach our children, we try to repeat what we experienced. So, becoming a teacher and then the students, when they want to actually be playing with us.
1: Great. So it's instead of teaching them as yeah, as a teacher to a to a student, we're playing with them, and to be able to play with them, you gave ideas of games and activities uh, to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: For those interested, the book is called *The Parent's Guide to Raising Multiliterate Children*, and it's full of activity ideas focused on transmitting heritage
0: languages, specifically reading and writing them.
1: How did it go? Did you have uh, did you have feedback?
0: So I got feedback. Uh, what I wasn't expecting is from heritage language teachers, so from uh, that do Arabic, Bengali. So languages that I don't speak, but because I made the, the book transferable as much as possible across languages, uh, they even find it relevant to them and they use them in their classes. Uh, and yeah, and they said that the, the. <laughs> Learning experience is a lot better, so that's a real compliment.
1: Ah, That's great. Yeah. And you are launching a new book yeah. Uh, soon. Yeah. Can you tell me why you decided to write the second book and how is it different from the first
0: one? So the first book was addressed to parents and, and teachers as well. But the second book, I wanted to speak directly to the children. And so it's a book for children. So it's uh, a graphic novel. It's mainly for children aged 10 to 14. And the reason I think I chose this age group is because I struggled during that time <laughs> with my own okay. identity. Uh, mm. So I wanted to address these points. So, for example, in, in the book, I talk about the fact that it's not because we don't speak as well one language than the other. It's, we can't be considered bilingual because that's, that's I think, the, the myth that's going around and that I suffered the most as a child because I thought, I'm not as good as if like, the Japanese children in Japan, so I'm not really Japanese. That that put doubt on me. And now that I'm a parent, I know that it puts pressure on me, uh, even if I know it's not the case. It still puts pressure on me to see the gap, but I, I try to ignore it and not pass on my stress to my children either. Also, so I wanted this book to be for parents and children to share together, so to talk about their cultures, their languages, uh, so there are a few parts in the books that are meant for these dialogues to happen
1: how, how does it work does it work in any language uh, how interactive is it
0: the book works in any language so there is a main language that's the strongest language of the, the child so generally the community language and then the child is invited to write in the book in their home language uh, so it's also to give them a genuine reason to write in their language so I came up with this idea because I wanted to find a way to get my sons to write in our language that was purposeful, not like homework.
1: Since our conversation, Yoshito has launched a Kickstarter campaign for his second book, In Search of the Lost Word. It's actually live right now. You can find the link in the description of this episode. And it's a pre-order campaign. This means you can pre-buy your book, He'll be able to finalize the illustrations of the book. And once all of this is done, he'll be able to send it out to all multilingual children out there. What's your big dream? What would you really want to to happen after these books? So
0: my, my aim, I think it's because I struggled so much with reading and writing, is really to make that easy for everyone. So my aim is to create a library for multilinguals, which is why I call my company that way, Library for Multilinguals. Uh, Because I want every child to be able to have their own library in all their languages. Also, I'm going to create books to facilitate that as well.
1: And so let me ask you now, um, I know I will struggle with that. I speak Lebanese to my daughter and written and read Arabic is different from spoken dialects. So what would be the different tips that you can give me to make sure that what I'm doing is relevant or playful? Like, do you have examples
0: First question we need to keep in mind is why would they want to write or read? So we need to start from that question from their point of view. Why would they want to do that? So for example, something that's quite easy to do is let's say you're, you do a weekly shopping and you want, you can tell your, your daughter that whatever she wants, she can write it on the list, add it on the list. But on the, maybe on the fridge, you can have the different things she could want to buy and with the words written, so you have pictures and the words below, and she writes, she can just copy at the beginning, and little by little, she's going to remember how to write it, and she won't even need to check, so that's another tip as well, is to not just, not test our children, but keep uh, what helps them as long as they need it, and once they won't need it, they won't even look at it, so then you can take it away. Also, to show them why it's, so fun to be able to to be able to read and write, so for example, reading every day uh, with our children is a is a good thing. I don't mean that to read every day in our home language, but first to read together, uh, so it's a moment we spend together and then we can also include some books in Lebanese or any other language for the different families, but not to maybe yeah another tip not to uh, focus on the language so not say, oh, let's read a book in Lebanese, but uh, do you want to read a, a book about, I don't know, a fairy tale or do you want to read uh, a comic book or whatever? And then mm-hmm. she chooses the genre. And then in that genre, you're probably going to have books in Lebanese, books in French, uh, and then you choose from there. And if you think, okay, it's been quite a few nights we read just in French. I want some books in Lebanese. If one night she's not really asking for a certain book, you can say, ah, it's been a long time, we haven't read that book. Do you mind if we read it tonight? And that way, you don't focus on the language, you want the content. This is actually quite similar to what Ute,
1: the linguist we had on episode four of The Big Blend, was saying. She had different books in different languages in her home, and her kids would choose the book, regardless of the language. So as Yoshito is saying, focusing on the content rather than fixating on the language.
0: And it shows that having many languages enables us to to choose from different books. One advice I hear a lot that I think needs more than that is you need to show the example. Uh, so you need to read yourself, etc. so they can see that you're, it's interesting and they want to do it as well. But I think more than just showing the example, we need to go through the experience with them. So we read with them out loud, uh, changing voices and making the story really, really captivating. And that way, they're going to experience the, the, how fun it is to be able to read these stories. And as parents, we're probably not 100% of the time with them. There are moments where we can't take a book and reread them. So the, then for them, uh, the motivation is that, okay, even if mommy and daddy are, are uh, busy, Uh, I can just take a book myself and read but for this the Chinese to develop the skills to be able to read and write so that can be interesting for them so to to have this experience first and to see okay that's why it's fun to read and now I need these skills for myself because if mommy or daddy are uh, busy I, I can't have access to this book and so for example uh, in my book the first book i, I wrote the parents guide to raising to children reading or writing is often used as a way to uh, make the game happen so it's just games and fun activities uh, and being able to read or write is the, the way you can play the game mm,
1: it unlocks the game yeah. if if you don't have it it's locked you can't you can't unlock it What would you recommend to do if a parent tries to make it playful and also sends his kids to a school in their original language the kids might get bored or might not like it or, or resent that language what do you recommend a parent does at this point do you think we should let it go for a little while and come back or how can you kind of navigate through that
0: so two things i think first as parents even if we send our children to uh, Saturday school, we shouldn't just rely on on them teaching our children to read and write. We need to do our part as well as, as parents because otherwise it becomes too academic. Uh, so at home, we need to also to make it playful and um, also make it relevant. Like I, I mentioned the shopping list before. So that's relevant. It's, it's not, they can still get what they want to eat. So it's it's relevant.
1: It makes sense. It makes sense to them. I like that example. Can you give me another one, like the shopping
0: list? So, for example, if you have a how is it called? a memory game. The memory game is the card game where you have to flip two cards at a time to find a pair. So, instead of having two images, you have one image and one card, which is the word. So, if you have a duck, you have the image of a duck and the word duck, uh, and they need to find the pairs. But to be able to see if it's a pair, they need to decipher the the word. So if they can read a oh, duck, oh yeah, that's a pair. But if they have the word dog and they see the image of a duck, it doesn't match. But they need to be able to read in order to to play this game.
1: I really like it. You can make it at home. It's an easy one as well. You just draw on papers. Okay, let's take a step back. Today, would you say that you are at peace with your
0: different cultures? So I mentioned the fact that Uh, I was feeling a lot of pressure not being able to speak, read and write Japanese as well as if I was uh, growing up in Japan. Once I understood this, I understood that, okay, uh, what do I want from my languages? Uh, If I go to Japan, so my brother lives in Japan now, I want to be able to go to Japan and visit the country and maybe show things or explain things to my children. Uh, So I want to be able to do that, so I need a certain level. Do I need to be as good as if I was Japanese, like living in Japan, growing up in Japan? No. So once I understood that, I was a lot more at peace with that. This, just this tiny aspect put a lot of pressure. Uh, with Japanese, I always think, okay, wait, how do I do this? How do I do, uh, how how should I say this or that? So I, I'm a bit more uh, self-conscious of the way I speak, because I I feel I shouldn't be making as many mistakes. So I understood people are not as demanding as I was from myself. I just need to be able to do what I want with my languages.
1: Yeah, you rationalized a lot, you de-dramatized a lot, and you, you're, more, you're more lenient with yourself as well. Okay, but let's back up for a second here. So you, you're saying that your brother who let go of Japanese <laughs> classes today lives in Japan?
0: Yeah, so, so I think that's a great example for all the families who are thinking... Oh my child doesn't want to to speak my language or, or refuses, etc. So first not to be pushing it in, in their face. Because I think one thing that my mom was very clever about is that when she saw that he was uh he had too much of it, she didn't insist and she let him take a break uh from it. And then so when he was at university and he discovered Buddhism and read a lot about it, and a lot of it is related to Japan. He got interested again in it, then he became, uh, he started teaching Japanese at university, and then he went to Japan with a program where he met his now wife, uh, who is Japanese, and now they live in Japan.
1: Well, 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 <laughs> shout out to all the parents who are, who are anxious about their kids leaving the language. I mean, your brother decided to stop learning Japanese. Then became an actual teacher in Japanese and now living in Japan with a Japanese partner. So there is hope, guys. There is hope. <laughs> I always end the podcast with this question What is the smell of home to you?
0: Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> curry rice. <laughs> so Japanese curry rice, but it's not really the smell of home, but it's the, the, the dish that my mom used to make that I loved when I was a child, I still love it. I think because it reminds me of my childhood, but curry rice, yeah.
1: Thank you so much Yoshito, it was great to have you.
0: It was a pleasure to speak with you as well. Thank you very much.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Big Blend. Here are a few things that I'll remember from our discussion with Yoshito. It might seem obvious, but when transmitting literacy in a second language, first, make it fun and make it relevant, second, follow your kid's pace and don't push it, and third, keep your parental posture and not a teacher's posture. But mostly, don't lose hope if your child decides to step away from a language at one point. You never know when they might come back to it and fully dive into it like Yoshito's brother. Hang in there. You got this. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Big Blend. If you like what we do, talk about us to your multicultural friends. You can also give us five stars on your podcast app. And if you want to get a glimpse into the newest episodes every month, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter on the website, thebigblend.co. Cheers and see you soon.